Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 10, issue 488. And today we're going to be talking all about the original Castlevania. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Leah Haydu. Spooky season. And from One Credit Classics and the Video Wizard Wizards podcast, it is current world record speedrunner Ben Cartledge. Good evening. One introduction. Thank you very much. Now, we should be clear here. You're the current world record speedrunner, not at Castlevania. No. <laughs> or, or at Metroid, which is the one you've been playing a lot recently. Uh, you are the number one in the world at RC Grand Prix on the Master System. I am indeed, you know, and it is a stacked, an absolutely stacked bracket. It's taken me a while yeah. to, to kind of establish myself <laughs> at the top of this uh, hefty leaderboard, but... Uh, it's just, mm. it's hard work and dedication, you know? And the fact there's nobody yeah. else playing it. <laughs> 16 <laughs> minutes and 6 seconds. That's the one? That's, uh, yeah. Uh, yes, it's a... Uh, that That is the, the key to being the world's best at something, for most of us, is to find something that literally nobody else has exactly. done. <laughs> <laughs> That's the strategy, surely. Good job. But we should say, although uh, you are, uh, you're currently focusing on your metroid following our metroid podcast and you're making uh, incredible strides you're in the the world you're in the world top 10 now top 10 yeah yeah uh speed run on that uh you have also uh, although you haven't entered any castlevania it could be in your future because you've no deathed it at least twice yeah um so i timed one of my runs today uh, the fastest run i've done uh-huh. uh, on castlevania is uh, 18 minutes and 59 seconds which would put me at 290 second in uh, any okay. percent I get, and I guess that's a pretty uh, full category because a lot of people love oh, yeah. playing this game. Yeah, yeah. There's about four, five hundred people, and like the, the like, which we'll get into, the people at the top are, um, are androids, yeah. probably ridiculously talented people. Yeah, but the fact that you can no death it is uh, is more than qualification enough enough for, for you to join us here because I certainly can't do that. Thank you very much. Uh, Castlevania, or Akun- Akumajo Dracula which translates uh, to Devil's Castle Dracula or Demon Castle Dracula, is, in case you don't know, the first game in Konami's now long-running series of gothic horror-themed action platform games. But why are we all here? Well, apart from having one, uh, one credited it, no deft it, Ben, uh, what's your actual history with the mighty original Castlevania? So, um, obviously, I didn't play this at the time it's one of the one of those many kind of franchises that i came back to through doing one credit classics on youtube really and uh it was my first year of doing of doing one credit classics and there was a lot of clears that i hadn't done that then gave me the confidence to to do loads of other stuff so i'd done like gold max mm. and a few other things and vigilante but i hadn't done r type which is a massive one for me i haven't done i hadn't done yes. any of the ghouls and ghosts or ghosts and goblins games so when it came up to Halloween, I thought, oh, it'd be cool to do like a a, a Halloween kind of special, really. Um, and I thought to myself, well, what should I do? And I started playing Ghouls and Ghosts, but I just wasn't good enough at it, you know, and I didn't. It, that was such a big undertaking. And that was the point when I was trying to do stuff every week. So I'd approach stuff on a Monday and be like, I could probably do this. And I started playing this. I started playing Ghouls and Ghosts. And I was like, this is way above my pay grade at the moment. I don't feel like this. is. A, I don't feel like this is a very... Uh, a very fruitful endeavor. So um, I'd obviously, at the time, um, I'd played uh, other games in the series on the Super Nintendo and on the PlayStation. And uh, yeah, I uh, was watching, um, I was watching some Ghouls and Ghosts um, 
I was watching some Ghouls and Ghost runs actually uh, when I was in my old job on my dinner and uh, I saw the end of it. It rolled into another video. I was getting a drink and I came back and there was a, a Castlevania speedrun on. I thought, oh, watch this. This looks interesting. Mm. And uh, I just thought, this is really good. Like, I really, I, it just, I don't know, it kind of grabbed me straight away. And I thought, yeah, I bet I could do <laughs> like the famous last words. I thought, I bet I could do this. <laughs> and uh, I ended up, uh, I bought it for my uh, 3DS and was traveling somewhere and ended up putting a lot of time into it and trying to figure out a few different strategies and bits and pieces. And uh, it's funny because the video I did was uh, for, for the channel was um, uh, a one credit. So I died on yeah. Dracula right at the end. And mm. then uh, I started doing some work for another channel um, and they uh, some collaboration stuff. And they were like, oh, we've had a load of people ask about your Castlevania one. Could you do a run for us? And I was like, of course I could. So I did them a run and that was no death. And it really annoyed me because like I didn't have a no death run on my own channel. And like yeah. they, they they kind of had one of mine. So I was like, huh. So um, I uh, then began playing it kind of a bit more. And it's always been one of those things that I've always played like on and off. I've always, when I got into the stream inside of doing the channel more, I, uh, yeah, I, I always, it just always gets such a good reaction. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of people have got really good memories of this. And, uh, I just, it was one of the first games as well, um, that I had to kind of pick apart like piece by piece in order to get to the point where I could beat it properly. And, and that's like, I'll always have, I don't know, a bit of affinity for those kind of games that yeah, the golden axes and the ghouls and ghosts and, and, uh, the R types, you know, and games like this, the ones that were the first ones that gave me that sense of self-belief that that maybe anything was possible in terms of in terms of beating in terms of beating all games but uh but yeah like it's it's just a I I I've come to it obviously a lot later on but I've put quite a lot of time in in the last I think it's been about I think it's been about 5 years um mm. and it's uh it's to to the point where people ask for it on streams all the time you know if it's if it's a uh, and I've played other games uh, on of the this series on stream and stuff like that but um kind of coming to it when I did, um, I was able to, I don't know, like figure a few things out and, and get better at a few things and work out a few strategies. And that's the bit of it that maybe sowed the seeds of what was to come with the rest of the channel for me, really, you know, like uh, of of beating harder games and having a methodology to them. And uh, uh, it was an essential part of uh, my kind of uh, progression into kind of where we are now. But but yeah, like it, it's, not, it's only been recently, but yeah, I feel like I put quite a bit of time in uh leah you come from the land of people who had nintendo entertainment systems uh in the day as children i did but i didn't have one uh as i've mentioned on I numerous know. other podcasts including i think our metroid one yeah I never or had a super nintendo um yeah uh or super nintendo yeah uh but i have i mean listen i am not a speedrunner. <laughs> i uh that's we're going from like expert to me is um quite the jump but um i think that a lot of people probably had a uh first experience with the castlevania series in general that was not one of the first couple of games uh for mm -hmm. me it was symphony of the night which i think is yes. probably one of the more common entry points probably um just anecdotally and um sure. After getting into that, I decided to start getting into some of the other games in the series and eventually made my way back to the original Castlevania, um, which is 
quite different uh, from mm-hmm. the uh, the ones that we would traditionally think of as the air quotes Metroidvania type right. games. Yeah. So I was never. It was never super high up in my list of uh, of of kind of favorite Castlevanias, but that said, I love just the kind of the simplicity of it in in the sense that you keep coming back to this part of the Castlevania storyline or just the the. It, it, even if you don't want to call it a storyline, just the the kind of walkthrough of this part of the castle, like you come back to it so yeah. many times that it's mm-hmm. really cool to just see the origin of it. And, and that was that was kind of my fascination with it for a while. Castlevania is one of the the series that I really enjoy um, and and have kind of a, a really large affinity toward. It's part of my my sleeve my tattoo sleeve now um Uh, so uh and i you know it's 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 one of those that has meant a lot to me i when i have begun collecting uh kind of some of the more important games to me listen finding a boxed copy of the original castlevania is not an easy thing to do and i do not have one yet um and that's going to be that's probably going to hurt financially a whole lot if i ever manage to do get one Mm. um but that's like one of the kind of dream collector pieces for me um (laughs) But uh, yeah, so uh, I, I guess that's kind of a roundabout way of saying that this is not my first Castlevania, and it's not really my favorite Castlevania, but it does still mean a lot to me, and I have played it through uh, a bunch of times. The most recent time, um, I, I have beaten this without save states before, um, but it's uh-huh. been quite a long time, uh, and I did not do it for this particular nah. uh, playthrough. I abused the crap out of save states, so uh, no shame. problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, but but have have been through the game quite a few times. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to talking about it. Josh, how about you? I reckon you must have started with a later entry in the series. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, like, like Leah, my my first entry was um, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which I absolutely adore. And and generally speaking, I am more versed in the Igavania era of Castlevania. So, I you know, mm-hmm. I love Aria of Sorrow um dawn of sorrow um etc etc um but i have gone back and this was only in the last couple of years actually gone back to play rondo of blood which is the only um you know classic style um castlevania i had completed before before this you know on the run-up to to this podcast recording um and i did manage that without safe states which is you know i i think you know this game is probably not probably i think it's harder than rondo of blood Um, but rondo of blood is no pushover either and i was really really chuffed that i managed to get through that game and and i really love that game as well um it like i think for a long time i i kind of didn't understand why um what the appeal of going back to a more linear format was because I mm. hadn't experienced it and then realizing, oh, wait, the design of these games, like in Symphony of the Night, Aria of Sorrow, it's less about the individual encounters and more about the sheer variety and the, you know, the fun of exploration. Whereas yeah. with Rondo, every encounter is memorable. They, they try to 
it's just like it's like a precision you know a precise clock every encounter is designed in a specific way so you have a specific experience so i was a little bit you know even though um i'm not as well versed in classic you know castlevanias i went into this you know knowing what to expect um to a degree um and um i won't go into details about my impressions obviously I'll, I'll talk about that later i but i was surprised about how like how much of this held up how much mm. of this felt um maybe not modern but felt fleshed out because my experience of nes games is usually and you know hand you know hands in the air like i haven't played that many nes games so i'm sure there are plenty of examples that um do feel much like this this game but i was my my experience with nes games is usually they feel like skeletal versions of games that i've played later on that i'm more in love with i was surprised how fleshed out this felt in the end and i ended up um um yeah it, it surprised me this playthrough. There's mm. one bit I really don't like, but we'll get into that. Okay. But I had a I had a good time overall. Yes, uh, listener, know this that we are intending to continue on through the Castlevania series. I'm not sure whether every single entry will be able to have its own podcast, but Everyone. certainly will be. Everyone, <laughs> everyone, we'll certainly be attempting as many as we can although there is already even one example in this very show that is a slightly different game that we're not going to cover in full because anyway uh but yes follow along with us and we'll see the evolution of the series my history with castlevania i think the first one i played would have been the game that we know in the west as haunted castle which is the arcade version of this game but it's a very different game and it would have been We'll get into this in depth, Ben. Don't worry. If we if we do manage to do a haunted castle show next You're gonna year, you're going to say Ram, aren't we'll you? We're going to talk about the Rom differences. Oh, mate, heartbreak. So, yeah. So th this game in Japan is was quite a fun, playable arcade game. Everywhere else, not so much. Uh, it was they basically made it insanely un unplayably hard to my to my tastes. So when I played this in the arcades, I was like, I don't think much of this, and I knew that it was basically a castlevania game despite the name change because you could see it um like the graphics compared to the nes game were you know like leagues above and whatever else but essentially i think my first proper castlevania that i actually played and enjoyed would have been super castlevania 4 on the super nintendo which will get its own podcast and that too is a remake of this original game but it's kind of a ground up remake uh, because while it takes the themes and setting and plot it changes a lot of the levels and mechanics and and presentation and stuff this game has a lot of remakes a lot of distinct remakes uh, but i loved super castlevania 4 and i did manage to finish that one on my pal super nintendo back in the day and then my next one was probably symphony of the night which i adored we did cover that some years ago but we may cover it again uh, and since then yeah i've uh, i've played m most of but not all of the installments since I also do very much enjoy the Egovania style ones with the, 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 the leveling up and the progression and the C, you know, all the kind of the, the map uh, coverage and all that kind of thing. But as somebody who obviously I love a lot of older eighties arcade style games and have a lot of affection for Konami's golden era, uh, I had no problems with coming back to this. And of course they released that nice 
collection a couple of years ago, which is uh, which is the way I've been playing it on PS4 and Switch. Uh, I double dipped because they keep selling it for a ridiculous price. It, it's like four quid in sales for six or seven, whatever it is, Castlevania games, uh, and very much recommended if you want to play along with these with these shows. Pecan Pie from the forum is uh, somebody who's also jumped on the Castlevania Anniversary Collection bandwagon. Pecan Pie says, Castlevania has been a blind spot in my gaming, having only played Aria of Sorrow on the GBA, so I thought I'd play along with the show. I purchased the Castlevania Anniversary Collection for PS4, which set me up for the next few episodes and jumped into the first adventure. I found it a compelling NES-era game that is still fun to play today. Not being familiar with Castlevania, it took me a little bit of time to understand some game mechanics like hearts not being health, you can't jump onto stairs, and pressing up to attack, to up plus attack to use your sub-weapon. But once I got my bearings, I enjoyed this classic, whipping my way through in just a couple of hours using save states. I appreciate the focus and simplicity of the first adventure. There are only six bosses, but each one has a unique mechanic, progress in difficulty, and can be tackled in different ways by the different sub-weapons. Also, the fact that you're facing off against a Hall of Fame roster of monsters, mummies, Frankenstein's monster, Medusa, all in Dracula's castle, makes it seem like a goofy, spooky party you're crashing. This combined with the soundtrack and sprite art make it a celebration of Halloween-style gothic fun. The Stage 2 soundtrack in particular captures that feeling and vibe perfectly. I'm looking forward to seeing the series progression, all while slaying Dracula and whipping monsters into bits. As I've already mentioned, the developer was Konami, as they were known then, Konami Industry Co. Limited. It was developed in tandem with the MSX2 game, Vampire Killer, released a month later, that one, and uses the same characters and setting, but features some different gameplay mechanics. The director, now here's one of the first, uh, I mean, you don't find this out until you complete the game originally, but uh, one of the probably the best known things about the game is that uh, the credit the credit role it was common in in those days for japanese developers to hide the names of their staff for yeah reasons of secrecy and security and so that they didn't have people poached and possibly other reasons too but in the case of this game even in the japanese version they went for a series of god awful but strangely brilliant puns uh based on uh, well for instance the director is trans fishers the screenplay is by Vram Stoker. Uh, the composers are listed as, as James Banana. Uh, and <laughs> this these is were comedy all... gold. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> these are all puns on, uh, uh, on people involved in um, sort of classic... Uh, well, he, obviously, Vram Stoker is the author of Dracula, but also some puns around the names of uh, people involved in, um, in classic Dracula movies and things like that. But actually, it came out years later sometime later that uh, the real producer and designer of the original Castlevania in fact the first three NES or Famicom games was Hitoshi Akamatsu and uh, and it, it also became known that after the third game uh, he was demoted and subsequently left the industry uh, according to uh, Schmupplation's piece that was rerun in, on Nintendo Life as well Amazingly, despite the quality of the Castlevania games, Akamatsu was not exactly rewarded for his efforts. The sequels apparently sold poorly. Uh, this was revealed by former colleague Sona Yumi. He was demoted to working in one of Konami's game centers, a video, you know, an arcade, basically, 
Unsurprisingly, unsurprisingly, Akamatsu quit, citing his dissatisfaction with the way Konami treated its creative talent. And wow, this is going back into the early 90s, uh, long before, for the rest of us, Konami lost its luster, I think. According to Akamatsu, Konami placed profits above all else, and developers who weren't creating games that made lots of money were all eventually axed one by one. A number of them went on to do great work at Square Enix. So yeah, the Famicom Disk System original version of the game came out exactly 35 years ago today at the time of recording, September the 26th, 1986. It arrived on the NES in cartridge form, May the 1st, 1987, the release corresponding to the 90th anniversary of the book Bram Stoker's Dracula. It was renamed though. So the, the name Castlevania is kind of famous now and rolls off the tongue easily for most of us, especially in the West, more so than Akumajo Dracula, as I keep proving. But uh, the reason that it wasn't just translated directly was simply because it wouldn't have played well in the Bible Belt. Uh, if it was called, you know, Satan's Dracula's Satanic Castle or something, <laughs> uh, it wouldn't have gone down well, in particularly in parts of America. Um, Castlevania's so, trying to corrupt yeah. our kids. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. You said that about Ghosts and Goblins, though, right? When they got rid of the uh, the cross and a yeah. load of other image imagery, it was kind of quite absolutely. It was a so thing, Final right? Fantasy early on, yeah, no, absolutely. Nintendo was has has. Well, I I don't know that they still are necessarily, but they particularly back in the NES days, yeah, they they were very mm. anti any kind of uh, Christian imagery making its way into their games. They were kind of infamous, I think, from from some of the yeah. things that I've read for uh, removing crosses from things and uh, and that sort of. Uh, I think they were, yeah. I think it was probably just ultra cautious about upsetting people in North America, mm. wasn't it? Especially when you know video games, yeah, was still a relatively kind of new thing is that is that el shaddai remaster on switch i wonder because i think that would would be an interesting situation oh boy Uh, yeah i think they're generally a bit more relaxed about these things and certainly the (laughs) like the uh the castlevania anniversary collection although it took a an update they did add the japanese versions back in you can play those on switch uh, and the the recent release of the advanced trilogy plus vampire killer the snes game uh, that has all the regions of all games in in there from the off. So, uh, crucifixes. I thought it had um, uh, Dracula X, or is that sorry? I meant I meant Vampire's Kiss. You're quite right. Yes, I always get those names wrong. Vampire's Kiss. Shame they didn't put Vampire Killer in actually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Dusk versus Tweak from the forum says I have such a vivid memory of my mom playing a rented copy of Castlevania for about an hour. I had no idea what the game was, but it looked spooky and colourful. It looked exciting. Unfortunately, it also looked hard, and my mum stopped playing. She has a famously awful memory, but she still remembers that game being too difficult. It would be 15 years later when I finally took a crack at the game, but it still held all the same allure it had originally all those years before. It's like the classic rock of gaming. For its time, it was blazing new trails, courting with the devil, and giving us one of gaming's longest-running acts, not unlike the Rolling Stones. It's a bit dated, but it still rocks. The PAL version arrived in December 1988, two and a half years, uh, no, two and a bit years after the, the original, but as we've discussed many times, the, the NES was... Not a huge deal, certainly not in the UK or across Europe, but, you know, people had them. Nikhil had one, for example. He did. Uh, the Famicom version uh, arrived. So this was the non-disc version 
Uh, it's kind of it's a bit of a remix actually. It arrived in 1993 in Japan, and it has the optional easy mode, which I can one CC because it's that easy. Um, it's not present in the original disc system release nor the international releases. Uh, it tweaks the game balance, uh, and there's no knockback crucially, and you receive less damage. So it really, uh, it really is. If you just want to rattle through Castlevania, not learn it, not get good like like Ben has, uh, the easy mode on the Japanese ROM is is a treat. You can you know play it through in half an hour, or whatever, and see the whole game, and uh, it shouldn't cause you too many problems. Steve Norman from the forum says this Famicom cartridge version offers the easy mode with more lives, hearts, and damage boons, but significantly you get frozen for a split second rather than knocked back when you're hit. Otherwise, the candle and power-up placement in either mode also makes it a bit easier, but the few other differences are minor. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the the it's interesting the um the bloodstained eight-bit games. We talked about the first one of those on our bloodstained show. That's exact. They did exactly the same thing with the easy mode on that game. Took out the knockback because I would say probably I don't know at least fifty percent, maybe seventy-five percent of lives I lose in the original Castlevania are to knockback disasters. Don't know get, about you guys. Yeah, get hit by a Medusa head, fall into a pit, dead. Yeah. Mm. That I mean, it's designed that way, right? Like they are designing it. Like many of these these early games, they are designing it so that if you are not being cautious or if you don't know what you're doing, then you you can get screwed over super easily. Hundred percent. Yeah. Got to pay attention. Reviews at the time were pretty positive, while not ultra stellar. Famitsu gave the NES version thirty four out of forty, and CMVG Computer Video Games in the UK gave it eighty percent. Game rankings-wise, well, the virtual console versions for Wii and uh, the GBA versions got 69% and 71% from average reviews back in whenever those would have come out, mid, yeah, mid-2000s. User reviews right now on Nintendo Life, it has a slightly more positive 8.1 out of 10. So, I mean, the scenario... You're a vampire hunter. This is uh, this game is now the sixth in the series canonical chronology, thanks to all the subsequent games. Every 100 years, the dark vampire known as Dracula resurrects and terrorizes the land. A vampire hunter named Simon Belmont, or Simon Belmondo in the original Japanese, bravely ventures into the Count's mansion in order to defeat him. Along the way, he'll have to defeat skeletons, bats, fishmen, medusa heads, and other evil creatures. It's. I think it's a really cool setup. Like it, it, it's so. It feels so baked into the gaming landscape now that it, it's almost. Uh, it's just. It just. It's just there. You don't. But go, sort of thinking about it again for this show, there were other horror games around at the time. There was even a. I remember a Dracula text adventure around the same period uh, released in in the West, but. Um, but it's just such an appealing setup. You are a vampire hunter. Go into Dracula's castle and take him down. It's funny because uh, I mean, people. I think a lot of people might have this in their mind as kind of a classic. Uh, this is a Dracula story type of thing. But the novel of Dracula, the the story of Dracula, is nothing like this. Like you are not yeah. fighting your way through a bunch of characters. Like you know, it's it's. Yeah. The character obviously is is directly taken from that, but the the story itself is not. So it's it's kind of 
I would venture that probably in a lot of people's minds, this is the the version of the story that they would be more familiar <laughs> yeah. with almost. Yeah, Certainly yeah. in a lot of people who uh, play a lot of video games. Mr. Ixalite from the forum says, to me, the defining appeal of the classic Castlevania games, even in comparison to other linear platformers, is the feeling of progression on a journey. The wholly unique stages, the map that tracks your progress, even the plodding but committed walking and jumps sell the feeling that every step forward matters, that every screen and enemy cleared has pushed you that much closer to the villain's lair. The game's ultimate genius is making Dracula, said villain. It immediately provides flavour and context to the quest. You're not trekking through a generic fantasy land fighting generic monsters to take down a generic warlock. You're going through Transylvania fighting the universal monsters in the service of Dracula himself. And it doesn't feel like the game is cheaply coasting on this iconography because it moulds it into something distinctly its own. Castlevania Dracula is not some aristocrat on the hunt for young maidens and London real estate. He's the biggest of the bad, the demonic prince of darkness who can teleport and shoot fireballs. And for some reason, the Grim Reaper is his henchman. And the series hits this unique funhouse horror identity right out of the gate. There's nothing quite like reaching that final moonlit staircase and knowing that you're about to whip some vampiric butt, give or take a few dozen deaths. So yeah, the real inspirations, as I see it, folk legends that became gothic novels that became universal monster movies and Indiana Jones uh, as as has been confirmed by the by the creator himself. He was a big Raiders of the Lost Ark fan. Give the character a bullwhip. And uh and it and it, it made for a for a an interesting control scheme, you know, rather than just having the guy throwing knives or shooting fireballs or whatever out of his hands. Uh it actually and and it, without diving too far into the gameplay stuff yet, that whip mechanic gives the the game a, a distinct feel compared to its other you know plat action platforming peers right because mm. of the the timing and the distance that you have to execute with every single hit yeah like there's a a deliberateness to it like with other games like mega man i'm spamming spamming the shoot button as fast as i can when i'm in in a room with a boss or, or a bunch of enemies but this mechanic forces you to pick your moment in a way that I wouldn't do with um, other games of its ilk, and it kind of it kind of leads you into that a little bit because you can get away with just whipping, whipping, whipping until a certain point, and then it's yeah. when you get to those statues that shoot the fireballs at you. Where if you do that, you're going to get hit. You have to actually mm. be paying attention and you know timing your shots so that you're uh, you're responding to what's happening and defending yourself rather than just kind of spamming. Well, more interestingly than that, I think there are enemies where they're training you to not try to attack everything. Like the, the Medusa heads, I feel like if you try and attack every single one, you are just going to drive yourself um, <laughs> mad. Um, but, you know, going for that more considered approach of i'm gonna pick my battles i'm just gonna dodge and weave past these people if something problematic you know shows up ahead i'll deal with it but for the time being it's my priority is survival not not offense well they, they like spawn positionally based um and in terms of like there's so many screens and we'll get into that but like uh, where you'll go and the magician will always spawn at the same point now, if you take that yeah. out and then move, it'll pick a random point on your moving arc to spawn the new one. And at that point, 
that's when you've got problems. Like, and that's the thing yeah. where sometimes, like you say, you're better to just figure out where the first one's going to go and you can make enough headway to get to some kind of safety before the next one spawns and you'll know when the next one's going to spawn because it's it's fairly routine. When you start here, yeah, when you start smashing Medusa heads out the air, then yeah, stuff gets uh, stuff gets hairy pretty quickly, to be honest. Some more of those fun credits. We've got uh, Christopher B as Dracula. Um, oh, I get Bello it. Lu- yeah. Subtle. Keep up. <laughs> Bella Lugosi as Death. Frankenstein is played by Boris Karloffis. That's terrible. Uh, Love Cheney Jr. from The Mummy Man. Medusa is Barbara Sherry. Vampire Bat is Mix Shreks. Hunchback is also Love Cheney or Love Cheney Sr. Fishman is played by Green Stranger. I haven't worked out who that who that's referring to. Armour is played by Cafe Bar Reed. Skeleton by Andre Morrill. And Zombie by Joan Candies. Not... John Candy, but John Carradine or Carradine. Uh, and the hero, Simon Belmondo, if you're playing the original Famicom Disk System version, because it has, uh, you can, it's, um, you know, you enter your name and you have a save file, as is uh, familiar for modern, uh, ca- more modern Castlevanias, uh, you also get your name at the end, in the end credits as uh, under the hero's name. Let's talk about the graphics, the art design, the technical side. For my money, I've never been a huge fan of most NES games, but I think uh, while the graphics here function okay for the most part, there's a little bit of flicker and there's a few moments where it's not entirely clear what's the the backdrop and what's the platforms, uh, which cost cost me a few deaths until I got used to what was what. Um, obviously, I am aware of the, the age of the, the system involved. The game always just looks a little bit scruffy in places to me. Like I think maybe it was an overreach going for some of the some of the more organic and and ornate architecture. But overall, like some of the effort they put into the little some of the flourishes, um, things like having the halfway through the game you see in the backdrop, you can see the the castle and stuff off in the distance that makes up the rest of the game. Um, I think, well, yeah, well, it, uh, it's unlikely to blow anyone away at this point. Um, it's uh, It's got a certain kind of grimy charm to it. Yeah, I, re- I really like the aesthetic of, of the first Castlevania. I, I just like the aesthetic of the series in general, really. But uh, yeah, I it's limited, sure, but I, I enjoy the uh, kind of the feel of the castle. It all really works for me. Yeah, I think there's enough, uh, for me, there's enough, background detail in order to be able to um almost kind of mentally kind of design strategies for me in terms of where i need to stand so there's enough stuff like um yeah. uh, where i can anchor my position to where i need to be for kind of boss encounters or where like certain enemies are going to come in like uh, the overall look of it's fantastic but it's nice for me that there's individual bits of detail that i'll know i need to stand where that brick does xyz and then that thing won't be able to hit me and i'll be able to kill it really easily you know like it's kind of both it's both like really nice to look at for me and uh, and really kind of functional, which I'm, I'm finding when I play a lot more of kind of the older games and try and get bigger clears, the ones without any kind of background detail yeah, are so much right. harder. You know what I mean? I know we talked about at the start, but I know you, uh, you people picked up on it on the, the, the Metroid show where it's just everything's black and it's a nightmare to try and time anything. With this, I don't feel like, you know, I feel like I can anchor my position to a lot of things and know that like, this side of the brick, I'm all right. The other side of the brick, I'm dead, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they do a good job of making the enemies and their attacks really readable um, for the most part. Um, mm. I, I totally agree. There's a 
uh, one section in particular. Um, it's the area where there's um, loads of fishmen. I, I agree some of the platforms are a little bit weird. Like there's in the fishmen area, there's like these skull platforms that you yeah, think yeah. are going to be um, yes. you can stand on, but you can't, which is frustrating. But Learn by dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I always felt like I, I was I was able to keep track of all the... Even when there's loads of... Like when there's loads mm. of Medusa heads on screen and there's hawks flying, you know, bringing in the the little goblin men in flea into men. the stage. Mm. The flea men, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm always able to keep track of that information, which I think is really impressive. Yeah. Your mileage may vary. Magical Isopod from the forum says, What killed my ability to enjoy this game was the graphics. I understand it's an NES game, but I found the limited colours to, uh, to be often garish and clashing, and the art on display here isn't especially great compared to the 90s NES titles I'm more familiar with. It's an earlier game, so it has to be viewed through that lens, but the visuals are pretty bad from my modern lens. Uh, oh, cheese, though says i have so much nostalgia for the original castlevania on nes and i admit it comes down to the aesthetics i can remember playing the original game when i was six or seven back in the early 90s and something about it just really captivated me the opening title the color scheme the macabre look the whipping mechanic which was pretty novel to me at the time were all just very satisfying to my younger brain and the opening song vampire killer is by far one of my favorite video game tunes of all time I think it's fair to say that probably more people fondly talk of, remember the audio than the graphics for the original Castlevania. Some of the tunes here became standards for the series, even if the composers themselves didn't return too many times and were ultimately, uh, yeah, and the, the, the series has had, as, as with most long-running video game series, has had many different composers working, working for it. But Vampire Killer in particular has um has stayed as as a de facto theme for the game and and even though yeah of course you'll hear this is uh, an NES 8-bit sound chip with uh, limited scope for percussion and and uh, channels and things like that the tunes here are kind of indestructible uh, I think this is the part where I should bring up the since since I I don't see it in the notes but we did do a Castlevania sound of play special yeah yeah um, yeah that's that good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it was myself and uh, and McKeel, our McKeel Croder, uh, who was originally supposed to be on, uh, but uh, yielded for uh, for for Ben here. But um, yeah, we we did. I don't remember where we stopped uh, in the Castlevania series, but it was kind of the earlier entries. And uh, yes, we have a lot of nice things to say. So if you uh, are interested in the music, I highly recommend checking that out. Number two twenty is the uh, the episode number. Absolutely. It's my plug. You can go on now. Good plug. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'll jump in here and, and say that this soundtrack absolutely holds up. Um, I, I think it's very telling, you know, Rondo of Blood remixes. Um, Rondo of Blood already has a great soundtrack in of itself, but some of the remixes of these tracks are the highlights of that soundtrack, and I think that's really telling. Um, like, it, it's... Where the you know the visual design is maybe lacking in that personality, the soundtrack absolutely fills in that blank. Um, I think it's a, it's a pretty phenomenal piece of work. Ben, you into the tunes? You're right. Like they're incredible. Like I always think, um, uh, I was Wicked Child probably stands out, but they're all good. You know, 
Like it's they're all kind of there's always bits in the runs where if I'm streaming it, I'll always say, right, I'm not gonna talk now and then I'll give the volume a bit of a shove and I'll just kinda of, yeah, I'll yeah. just kinda of carry on. It's just a it sounds like the kind of music you should be listening to while trying to while trying to kill stuff like satanic, you know? <laughs> it makes it makes sense to me. It kind of pieces that uh, yeah, it pieces that gap. And you're right, like we'd hear these songs remixed endless kind of times afterwards and they'd all show up in, in yeah. different games and there's 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 probably very few games uh, in the the later on in the series that have got so many songs that then were remixed and then stood out for as much as much time you know mm. like uh, people think about you think about bloody tears don't you i think that first turned up in uh, haunted castle and there's a few others that have obviously had remix after remix but when you look at this yeah. kind of original playlist and all the songs on there like there's a uh, yeah it's it's a uh, it's all killer no feller isn't it like it's just incredible quiet paul from our forum says the music is instantly enjoyable and i found myself foot tapping and humming my way through the hordes of evil my personal favorite being wicked child I could hear it in my head being played by a rock band. And sure enough, YouTube had plenty of rock metal <laughs> covers to fulfill that want. Let's get into the gameplay in a bit more detail. Alex79, our regular correspondent from the forum, says, I have no nostalgia for the Castlevania series, having only ever played a small handful of the games and never as they were released. So I came to this game fully expecting to be hit by a barrage of outdated annoyances and frustrations. I'm happy to report that this couldn't have been further from the truth. What I played was a fun, challenging action platform adventure which could happily stand among contemporary releases from the genre which it spawned. Castlevania looks great, sounds great and most importantly plays great. It rarely feels cheap, although it's not entirely faultless in that department. The character handles well and the combat is almost perfect. I really enjoyed this game and I'm looking forward to making my way through the rest of the early games in the series soon. Yes, first mentioned in the show. I was going to do it earlier, but but let's do it. I would say that the the kind of the key, if I was going to liken these games to to a more modern game, I suppose the 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 post Symphony of the Night Castlevanias would be more more Dark Souls like, and the original Castlevania would be more Sekiro like. In that, there's no leveling up; you have to learn everything, um, and some of the bosses will absolutely tear you apart on your first meeting with them uh, until you start to learn the techniques and in particular what what some of the bosses are are weak to super user from our forum says this is one of those games i played on an emulator out of historical interest i'm glad i did because the game is absurdly hard it's one of those retro games that's short on paper but long in practice only because it's so difficult a lot of that difficulty comes from trial and error Many platforming challenges require memorization instead of creativity and your scope to escape from a dangerous situation is limited. It's less about thinking on your feet and more about learning an exact timing pattern to avoid the Medusa heads and other enemies. The bosses have huge health bars and are real struggles that I couldn't overcome and had to cheat to satisfy my curiosity. In terms of legacy, the action platformer that Castlevania typifies is doing better than ever. Picking up weapons and using them for effect is now common across the genre, as is managing multiple resources. What hasn't stayed is the idea of committing to your jumps. The series would hold on to this for a very long time, but almost every platformer starting from the 16-bit era would allow you to adjust your course mid-air. On the sort of memorization as opposed to improvisation sort of uh, aspect 
I agree. And normally I, I find games like that uh, grind me down. And certainly I use save states where, where available to avoid repetition. I think uh, I, I can find that actually pushes me away from a game, just having to do the same bits that I know I can do over and over again. But um, but actually I, I did, despite, despite that, the nature of this game being more about uh, memorization and execution than improvisation. Um, I did find myself keep coming back to it, but I don't know. Uh, don't know how each of you feels about that sort of that type of design. It depends on the game. Honestly, I don't, I don't have yeah. a, uh, a hard and fast rule for that. Uh, yeah. I think that there are some games where if, if the gameplay isn't grabbing me enough or the yeah. just the game itself, uh, you know, the whole package kind of gameplay uh, characters, if there's a story uh, that I'm interested in, you know, if if at least one of those things has grabbed me enough, then I'm willing to put in that work and, and try and do the memorization. But if yeah. if that's not really catching with me, then I, I can see where it would get grading really fast. For for me, it's a it's a kinesthetic thing where it has to feel good. Like the yeah. the perfect execution has to feel good. That's why Sekiro works for me because mm-hmm. that game is about that. It's it's. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head when you said that this game is kind of kind of of the same vein as Sekiro. It's about mm. that pattern recognition, but ultimately pulling off that action. Just the endorphin rush of like getting it perfect, getting the timing perfect, getting all of that yeah. stuff perfect. It feels really good. And I feel for the most part, not always, but for the most part, Castlevania does that. But there are definitely plenty of games that I've played where they lean into a similar structure of play. But because the fundamental actions you're doing don't have that kinesthetic pleasure, that's when it becomes frustrating to me. So Ben, are there elements of this game which are random or or vary or depending or is it purely down to the way you interact with them? Um some things are. Like for example, uh so if you kill an enemy, right, there is a one in sixteen chance it'll drop an item. Now depending on what stage yeah. you're on, there's a table with four different kind of things that it can drop and it'll drop them all in order and it stores the position. So like say for example uh, in the first level, like there's a one in sixteen chance of you getting a stopwatch randomly. We've probably all had it, right? You'll kill like a zombie and it'll drop a stopwatch, and you'll be like, yep. "Oh, what's that?" Yep. And that's how it works. Then what happens is it moves on to the next thing, like the the second kind of column in the table. And then if you don't get another one in sixteen shot, then when you move to the next level, it'll still be in position two, but position two will be something different to kind of uh, to kind of that level. So there's things in there that are, um, uh, like I say, completely like random like that there's like um mm. there's things that the, the, the crazy thing is there's the elements in this game that are so precise that that you it's incredible to think that like for example you can uh you can critical hit on bosses right and we'll talk about bosses in a little bit yeah you can critical hit on bosses to critical hit on yeah, a boss yeah. you have to hit it on the same frame that it hits you and it's running at 60 frames a yeah. second so there's a one in 60 yeah. chance when you hit a boss if it hits you at the same time you'll hit it with a critical attack if you critical attack it does five more damage points right so when you look at like the faster runs, like when you get to some of the bosses, they get taken out really quickly because yeah. you can kill them in two or three cycles instead of like 10, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, but in terms of um, uh, like in terms of randomness, like enemies that lock onto your position will generally uh, wait for you to move and then it'll be kind of there or thereabouts, you know? 
like the bats on the last level and things like that and the bat boss on the first level like it will yeah. it'll wait for you to move and then work out kind of pattern based on that things like the uh medusa heads will always generally move in the same arc but your position on the screen uh kind of triggers them basically so when you go over a certain yes. number of frames then they'll kind of move but they'll always move in the same way you know but like we said if you kill one then basically it'll work out your position when you cross that frame rule again and then create another one you know so like um yeah there's elements of both there realistically like um, so you you are the, you are the it's a little like we were talking about another game from uh, from the same year in a recent issue bubble bubble in that there's a there's a lot of this game which can look or feel yeah. like it's random or or at least procedural but actually it's more to do with what you're doing yeah exactly 100 yeah. percent. and like when when you watch uh people who are really good at it it's uh frightening like uh, how much stuff like th there is to it you know like you think that it's just yeah um like a a kind of platform you've got to do a few different things um and it's like that from a gameplay point of view it's not super complicated but it's the same thing like you say with bubble bubble when you get into the code and how the game's actually put together you realize that there's like a really a really complex engine at work yeah and uh and why you know this this game is still such a popular such a big draw for for speedrunners and stuff yeah massively uh, 35 years on and it's not it can't just be nostalgia at that point obviously no. it's also it's it's the way it feels to execute it and and the hidden depths simon can move jump crouch climb stairs and use a magic whip the vampire killer as his primary combat weapon when the player presses the button to crack the whip there is the short delay before simon actually does so other sub weapons were planned but not included such as garlic wooden stakes and an item that transformed the player character into a werewolf which we would see in symphony of the night the sub weapons are i don't think we can under express how important they are to this game and i think this is one of my mistakes of of playing various castlevania games over the years is and maybe they were never as important as they were in this very first game maybe maybe the third game we'll find out i know that's got some notoriously tough bits in it but the sub weapons here are absolutely essential if you want to if you want to have an easier time having the right weapon at the right point is kind of near mandatory although you can you can clutch your way out of certain situations but uh, one of your runs, Ben, you, you're like, you almost accidentally pick up the dagger on the, as you're heading towards uh, Frankenstein, I think it yeah. is. And you're just like, no, imagine if I'd got yeah, exactly. that. Like, yeah. The funny thing yeah. is, like, near the end, that was killing more runs than actually dying was. You know, yes, I was right. I was having to stop more runs than, than, than just from, like, not having any energy or falling down pits or something. Because there's, like you say, it's that, um, it's the one in 16 thing again. So, like, um, one of the items on multiple of the tables across the level, so the 1 and 16 is a sub-weapon. So it's not even yeah. like I've jumped in here. If I jump in at a candle, I'm waiting for something, you know? Like, if it's not one that I'm familiar with, then I'm going to give it, I'm going to either leave it or I'm going to wait until, if I'm not trying to get a quick time, which I never am really, but, like, uh, I'm not going to jump and collect it as I go through, you know? I'm going to kind of wait to see if it is something that I actually need. But, uh, like, with enemies, if I'm moving through, like, a... Uh, like the bit at the start of level four where you've got to make the jumps with the mermen and the cave and stuff like um if i've got a, my whole thing there is moving forward or uh, or there's several bits where i need to kill stuff quickly to keep the momentum going then 
a lot of times you can kill something, pick up a sub weapon, and then we're like, well, that's that then. <laughs> Start again because yeah, yeah. you know there isn't the opportunity to get the sub weapons back that you need it. Not just the sub weapons, but then get the double shot and triple shot power up that you that you were that subsequently make everything there yeah. a lot easier. Yes, power ups for the sub weapons are something again that I think I really personally underestimated and underappreciated. And some of these power again, actually, some of the power ups are always spawn in the same places, yeah. right? But some of them you need to but get lucky basically well, it's how many years uh, how many candles that you can kill with said sub weapon generally um or like how many like that's why you were taking out candelabras with the holy that's water exactly why i was doing that yeah yes right all kind of projectiles projectiles as well like uh, if you take projectiles yeah. out with sub weapons hence why like uh, if you use the, uh, the 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 kind of boomerang thing like uh, if you use it on the towers it's really good because they do two fireballs that you can kind of knock through as you go through and then it'll come back and you can get a third and it's it's a much quicker way of getting your uh second and third shot power than it would be farming candles normally so i'm interested uh josh i, no- I noticed uh you were tweeting yesterday about having some uh perfectly reasonable problems with the grim reaper um <laughs> and uh and you had the boomerang i think which is an entirely legitimate strategy for for yeah. taking out the grim reaper but it still makes it challenging but were you even aware of the kind of significance of arriving at that boss with the holy water being able to actually just completely stun lock it and all that kind of thing or is I, this all I wasn't news? I wasn't aware going in I was very <laughs> very aware afterwards when um <laughs> everyone told everyone me. told me um I just uh, you know I I was using save states I you know quick saved before entering that fight I had a boomerang yeah, yeah. and I just I didn't have the willpower to go back through the level in search right. of holy yeah. water. Um and yeah, to yeah. be honest with you, I'm glad I I'm I'm glad I did it properly for yeah. lack of a Kinda. better word. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean. Is the the organic way and also yeah yeah it, it is um I I watched a a, a top tier player playing it uh, and actually electing to have a triple powered up boomerang on that fight because you just fling three of them off and they just cut through the air, cut through the all the scythes, cut through the boss. Yeah, it's it's still um I and I I imagine um you'll explain to me that there is like a specific pattern to the way the the scythes appear and spawn etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. I never it's, let them move, know. you know. That's silly. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah. like it's like Floyd Mayweather, you know what I mean? You got a 50 you know and never got it. I ain't here to be exciting. I'm here not to get it and kill stuff, you know. Like I, uh, I'm going to stunlock him the second he turns off. Uh, just I it was <laughs> like I know I said earlier the game does a great job of making sure everything feels trackable um this was just too much for my brain to handle it, it it's a tough fight yeah it, it's it's not just the size it's it's the grim reaper himself just floating about and it just yeah, it, like at, with you know, with all the other boss fights, even the like, I struggled with Frankenstein. I I struggled with yeah. um, you know Dracula until I figured out you know the jump jump and attack trick. Yeah, um, yeah. But Grim Reaper, I, I even when I managed it, it felt like luck, um, and I just I really didn't have a good time with that fight at all in a way that I did with the rest of the game. And I don't know if that's a commonly held opinion or not. Oh, but... it is. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But the, I mean, this is the, the the thing that I've probably discovered through 
repeatedly playing through the game and uh, and and watching super players and uh, and researching is that yeah just the the reliance the the emphasis on the sub weapons is extreme yeah uh, and 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 getting the getting the power ups for the sub weapons is like some of them are some of we should say like a lot of the the secret power ups are secret like there is no clue until you learn which brick to hit some of them you might hit automatically but it's just about and again back in the day we might have had we we always talk about that uh, sort of legendary but possibly quite authentic scenario of the the kid who gets the one NES game for birthday and christmas and uh and then has to play it for 6 months and you know until they get something else to play and of course you you probably will hack every block at some point and <laughs> uh, and find that but to our modern design sensibilities not being given any clues or anything like that feels uh, like anathema in some ways and we just go on youtube and find out what's what instead leah you said you played through this uh, without save state some time ago do you remember did you get into the the kind of the learning where ev- you know every power up was and what weapons to have at every point or did you just get really good at managing whatever I, situation you had so i think it was less that i was really good and more that i was really stubborn um so i because i i mean i know that it took me quite a long time so um fortunately i don't think i ever ran into and i i i don't i think that this is correct but i'm sure that one of you will correct me if if it's not um i'm pretty sure that there is no limit on continues is that correct no. okay i didn't think so so uh no idea i was pretty yeah. sure i would have hit it if there were <laughs> um, yeah 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 but yeah i think i think that's really kind of how i did it back in the Fair day enough. this time a lot of repetition yeah then. just a lot of you know getting for lack of a better term getting good um but yeah i i this time it was more a case of i know a little bit more about this and i'm also using safe states so holy water holy water holy water holy water and yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. yes yeah i've also watched a lot no. more speed runs than i had in, p- perhaps at that time so yeah. it's a science um uh, yeah and we should say like I don't, again like if you want to if anyone listening wants to get good at this game become a, a no death person like ben or whatever more power to you but also there's absolutely no there's nothing i mean play it however you want to play it of course save states whatever but continues i think is completely legit because you have to bear in mind that the american cartridge version of this game took out the save option of the original japanese design document so having continues and leaving your console on was essentially the only way of replicating the original vision for the game so i i don't think continues is is an issue at all i mean you could make an argument why have lives but then if you lose a life you get put put back to the start of a stage which is only a third of a level if you use a continue it's all the way back to the start of the the level and i believe the save system on famicom disk system was this basically the same as a continue i think took you back to the start of the level rather than the start of the stage could be wrong about that not 100 percent certain yeah hearts not as health confused me for a really much longer time than <laughs> it should have done uh because again like when i played haunted castle i imagine in the arcade of 1987 88 88 i think uh every other video game i'd played up to that point would have if it if a heart was on screen it would have meant some health and this game had a health bar very plain there for your character so hearts mean health 
right? No, no. In this game, hearts mean special weapon use, sub-weapon use. Why? I don't know. But I will say that actually just the the feel of jumping and whipping a candelabra is basically unchanged in every Castlevania game worth its salt for the, over the whatever 25-year period that they were releasing these games for. Um, and it, it still feels good to me. Wall food, though, is a thing <laughs> in Castlevania. Uh, I, I watched a video earlier where a guy was describing them as pork chops, which I, I don't think they're pork chops. They, they look like hams. I think it says pork chop me. in the manual, doesn't it? It probably does, yes. Uh, One other thing on hearts. Sorry, manual. I just wanted to say, like, um, like obviously use, yeah, them yeah, as, yeah. use them as sub-weapon, uh, um, obviously ammunition. But another thing with hearts is that dictates whether you pick up a whip power-up or not. So, like, when you've got the standard, uh, when you've got the uh -huh. standard whip, you need a minimum of five yes. hearts to get the next one, and then you need a minimum of right. ten hearts to get the one after. Like, those power ups won't spawn unless you've got the subsequent number of hearts. So that's why you find that huh. you get the um, you get the whip power ups. If you look at the the, the way it yes. starts, you start with five hearts. You hit the first kind of thing and get the whip power up. Then your next candle is a, a big heart, which is five hearts, puts you to ten. And then the next power up mm -hmm. is the next whip power up. So like. It kind right. of uh, so hearts dictate uh, how your uh, how your whip is able to power up as well. Thankfully, it it makes sure that you're very seldom without a whip for too long. Yes. Uh, in that in that respect, because yeah, the if when you restart with the weak short whip, it's uh, it could be a death sentence if it wasn't for the fact that generally there's enough candelabras around you to recover and again that uh that famicom 1993 version they added a lot more candelabras to a lot of the rooms so you can kind of get back e even on the non-easy mode you can get back into uh into full swing fairly quickly there is no swinging on your on your whip in this one though that comes later that's a 16-bit thing uh wall food then again this game does have you do have a health bar which is you'll be guarding jealously for your life most of the time but there there are health pickup items but they are all secret the game never offers you a pickup item like other video games <laughs> it's just like you have to know where they are or you have to find where they are is that i mean i don't know did, did it need to be so mean in that respect i don't know i think it's just a a tracking thing for i mean in you know, Metroid, that which I think is the last NES game we covered on the uh, on the podcast. Yeah, you know, there are places where you just have to bomb everywhere if you don't know what you're if you don't already know what you're doing. You just have True. to keep going until you find it and figure it out. I, it's I I think, in my opinion, it is just another way of not trying to add value, but maybe trying to add game length a little bit because. Yep. Yeah. You know, if you make it a little too easy, then people will burn through it too quickly and mm -hmm. you won't be, you know, yeah. you, you won't get that sense of replayability. But if you right. have to really search for some stuff, maybe this isn't the best way to do it, but it is a way that was more popular than I think in game design than maybe it is now. Sure. Did Did you not feel that, like, at a certain point you kind of got an instinct for when there was going to be some wall yeah. meat though because there are <laughs> like so. yeah there, there, there's like certain arrangements of rooms where i'm just like i can smell that meat i can smell it <laughs> um it's rotting in the walls yeah so it, it, it wasn't quite you know it wasn't completely obtuse 
uh, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I certainly see, like, these days there would be, like, cracks in the wall or something like that right. to clearly indicate where <laughs> it steam. is. steam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some meat steam. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I felt like I, I kind of got in the designer's head a little bit at a yeah. certain point. Part of the actual execution, obviously Ben will attest to this, uh, of getting through the game, like especially if you are going for a no death, is there are some bits where you are more than likely, even if you're really good, going to take a bit of damage here and there. Uh, and so therefore part of your run through the game is memorizing the locations of all the wall meat right pretty much yeah like um it depends like there's there's bits where um with good execution you never get hit but there are bits that's but like i said before the bits that have kind of elements of randomization are the ones where you're kind of at risk um you've got 16 blocks of health right and a, a bit of wall food gives you six back and I mm. think there is uh, either one or two on most stages. Um, uh, yeah. So, like, the it, it all depends on... But, like, for example, on uh, level three, obviously the one with the uh, with the mummies at the end, there's basically mm. only one on the entire level, and it's right at the end. Like, yeah. um, So the problem with that is the fact that if you have... A, and that's there's a, a lot of random elements in that. So if you have a bad kind of couple of screens... It can be quite the uh, it can be quite the trek to get to a uh, to get to the to get to the food, um, but yeah, like uh, knowing it, it's good to know they're there if you need them, you know. But the better you get, the less you kind of need them, you know. Realistically, like um, like for example, know. level five, there's kind of two, um, but if I can uh, execute kind of well, then I generally kind of don't really need them. But it's like you sometimes just bad stuff happens and you're like, okay, well, I need to get that when I kind of, uh, when I kind of go through. It, I like as well because yeah. it tends to give you them before really difficult stuff happens. You know, yes. you'll get them as a setup to a tough screen. There's one just before you go up to uh, that, that, cor- that famous corridor just before uh, death on level five, um, which everybody talks yes. about. Um, yeah. Everybody goes on about that loads, but there's a big like if you walk before you go up there, you walk to the right wall before you go up the stairs. There's like a, a pork chop in the wall there, so like it does feel like sometimes they do kind of a uh, kind of prep you for the the more difficult stuff with the uh, with the kind of locations really. Ah, uh, yes, I know it well. I had a safe state right there <laughs> on the uh, on Death's corridor. Yep. Right before, right before it, because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, you know, grab that meat and then get through that that. Uh, corridor reasonably unscathed before going into the death fight and uh yeah yeah that's that makes i did it makes sense but it's funny because i said before about the um about the holy water right yes so like in the thingy for that fight one of the big things that that people don't get with the holy water is the fact that if you attack an enemy with holy water right the big thing is that it freezes it right but the other thing is the fact that when it's frozen you can't take damage from it so, like, uh, if I walk forward on that corridor and th- just jump and throw holy water and get that first axe bloke, like, I can just jump straight through him and the other two Medusa heads will automatically hit the, the flame and you'll kill them both. You can do that whole corridor throwing two bottles of holy water and never get in it and it'll take you about 15 seconds. Okay, um, well, I didn't know that. I know, right? <laughs> now I do. Well, there you go. You'll wreck it now. Yeah, it's um, it's surprising how short that corridor feels once you kind of, you know it. But yeah, that that's a good sort of um, it's a good way of 
the whole thinking about the whole game really uh and, I, and i'm sure yeah like you know ben talks about the game like it's uh yeah like it 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 you can you can just like you did by almost by accident you rattled through it <laughs> without dying in uh in 20 minutes or whatever um but when you first play it it feels like yeah every every bit of knowledge and i suppose this again i'm going to mention it again this must be what james feels like about uh our james and, and other people like him feel feel about dark souls you know where he just every time a new version comes out he he uh he plays it and completes it and gets all the achievements in the time that it would take a new player to sort of start poking around the first level um just knowledge is is king in in with with some of these games Sonoyumi says uh, i did ask akamatsu once about why meat is used for health actually he said what do you mean it should be obvious to players right he probably used money bags as score items for the same reason i suspect the uh the bestiary is a grab bag of horror trope classics really and a couple of others that maybe don't make quite as much sense i mean i suppose the the leopard or the black panther uh is uh, there are those um there are those cat people films aren't there from horror films from back in the day uh, you've got a, a merman type thing, the Medusa heads and a Medusa itself, a creepy raven, a creepy zombie, skeletons, of course, the little hunchback or, or flea man, skulls and, and uh, skeletons, dragons, ghosts, uh, the eagle. I don't, uh, don't know why that's a horror thing, but uh, I guess it just made sense. Listen, those flea men had to get in there somehow. <laughs> That's exactly flea flea man transporters. They learn they learn uh, from the mistakes of the fellowship and the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, <laughs> so he could he could only use them a limited amount of times. I believe is the response from the uh, the the Tolkien law keepers. Um, yes, so it is. Uh, as I say, it reminded me of Cabin in the Woods. The the sort of um, rather than being thematically consistent with the just purely a Dracula mythos, uh, even within that. We know that there's quite a lot you can do with uh, bats and demons and creatures and wolves, and because he's yeah, yeah, the 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 Dracula himself is supposed to take many forms, and he has many uh, minions, the creatures of the night, and all this thing. But even even this game goes outside of that and just reaches into the grab bag of horror staples and throws them all at you. Uh, I mean, for an '80s video game, it's just kind of. It's fun. I think now we would probably, if a game came out and did that now, we'd probably say it was thematically inconsistent and a bit <laughs> throw enough mud. But for a, for a 1986 game, it just kind of seems like a bit of fun to me. Yeah, I didn't have any problem with this. And I, I really like that this particular set of monsters, the boss monsters in particular, comes back so many times throughout the series. Like, oh, yeah. they kind of just as you say, threw a bunch of stuff together, uh, it seems like, for the first one. But then they're like, okay, well, this is the lore now, so I guess we're yep, going to do the big it. bat first and then the Medusa, <laughs> and we're going to just keep going in that yeah. direction. Yeah, so uh, it's... Uh, I, I, I enjoy that they stuck with it. Yeah, I mean, I think this game is more consistent in terms of the sources it draws from than than later castlevanias like symphony of the night has a room where there's two cthulhu's in it 
Um, so <laughs> I think in terms of like just taking from, you know, whatever horror source they can think of, the later, the later Castlevanias are, are yeah. way more guilty. Um, but well, I guess they couldn't just keep doing the same eight enemies or whatever <laughs> yeah, forever. They just had to, it's a bit like Pokemon, isn't it? There's, there's now a thousand of them and, and 800 of them are variants on real world animals. Yeah. <laughs> I like bats. Yeah, real ones or game ones? I, you know, I, I don't Either. necessarily want to encounter a bat flying at me in real life, but as long as... <laughs> oh, they're cool. I, well, as long as they're... I mean, I, I, I'm not opposed to real bats. Like, I just don't want them flying at me, is, is what I'm kidding. At, Fair uh, They're there, surprisingly so. cute, but yeah, yeah, you don't want them caught in your no, hair. No, so as long as, long as we're, like, they're doing their thing, I'm doing my thing, I'm cool with bats. They're pretty stinky. Uh, that's the only thing. If you go and see a, if you go into a, a bat enclosure, they, 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 there's quite a, quite a strong whiff of ammonia. Uh, um, but other than that, <laughs> I like them. They are very cute and cuddly. Ben, can I ask you a question? Of course you can. Just on the enemies. Um, is there any particular enemy that is an, is the worst in terms of interrupting a speed run? Um. I don't know really um the medusas are a bit of a nightmare um if you yeah. but then it's just if they're a nightmare if you mess around with them you know like if you leave them alone and know the patterns then generally they're fine um when you were like the uh later on the axe armors take a lot of hits don't they but um you can mm. jump over them um so that's like uh not a massive problem uh, or you can freeze them with the uh freeze them with the holy water and jump over them like um most things, the great thing about it is most things are quite uh, logical, you know, once you understand the, uh, the the kind of patterns. But the things the things that can go wrong are the random things and the things with more hit points, really. So like, uh, the, like you say, the uh, uh, if you get bad luck on like the, the bone towers that shoot the fireballs, because obviously when you, they've got a timer that comes on when you scroll them onto the screen, but it's kind of frame dependent. So you can get them all the way on the screen so you can clear them with a jump when they're just about to start firing fireballs. Or if you get it wrong, you can get on the screen and then they can start firing fireballs, which means that you've then got to re-jump and kind of time it uh, kind of time it differently. And that's uh, one of the things we didn't mention, but a, a central thing with this is the fact that you can't run, you can't like uh, run an attack at the same time. You've yeah, got to stop yeah. to whip, haven't you? So yeah. like um, uh, uh something else like different kind of games would go on and develop that things like rastan and stuff like that where you could attack and, and move at the same time but for this like you are kind of stopped in place so um the yeah generally as a rule like the more the more random something is the more of a problem it is the more hit points something has got the more of a problem it is you know like um so that's kind of uh that's kind of the issue and obviously things that are around uh when there's um pit deaths you know, like um, like that's that's obviously another big issue just because of how much uh, how much kind of knockback there is. Yeah, the fact that you can't jump and you can't uh, recover onto a ladder or, or a you know a, a, a flight like of stairs steps, now. It, which feels something of its time again. You know that in a probably in most m more modern games you could yeah you could survive onto a flight of steps, but actually they, that's something they kept uh, in the series for quite a while yet. Um, but it was once the the games allowed you to scroll downwards that things got a little a little easier. Um, but yes, you can still in in four. We'll talk about this. You can still just climb up a screen, uh, so you know there's a a screen below you with safe platforms on it, and then fall down a pit, and suddenly that screen is no yeah, longer <laughs> in play. 
Yeah. But which fall is, damage, which you know, if you're fall, I, yeah. I guess. Yeah, thankfully, there's no actual fall damage in this yeah. game because that would be I the I think you get that in three cake. as well. I'm pretty sure the screen's like that in Castlevania. Uh, Castlevania yeah. 3. Yeah. Because yeah. there's ones that's, that scroll uh, really slow down the, and slowly downward. Yeah. And obviously, you've got the, the clock tower levels at the start where you get uh, Grant. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that see that's hard. Like that's really hard. <laughs> Safe states will be our friend for that one, no doubt. Uh, I was gonna. I don't know what you think, Ben. This game came out a year and a quarter after Ghouls and Ghosts, and I do wonder if if Ghouls and Ghosts was. I wonder if the director did play Makamura at the arcades because I know there's. There's there's a lot of differences, but there are also quite a lot of kind of remarkable similarities yeah. in the theme, the tone, the control. Um, it's different, but it wouldn't surprise no. me if um, if this was Konami answer, Konami answering Capcom. Yeah, it would would make sense, wouldn't it? Really, I mean, there's a lot of the, even through things like uh, the holy water and the firebomb on yes, on, the spawning is yes, not that yeah. different, is it? You know, like you you've got a weapon that you can throw that then produces like an area of attack on the floor in both games, don't you? Right, um, yeah. and there's yeah. like uh, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all, really. There's a, there's certainly a lot of uh, there's certainly a lot of a lot of kind of similar, and obviously both of them as well. Um, as much as it's uh, required in Ghosts and Goblins and not required in uh, and Castlevania, but obviously both of them have multiple loops as well, you know? Yes. So like there is that yes. kind of similarity as well, so. Yeah. Yeah, we should say, because although it wasn't an arcade game originally, it was a video game from the 80s, it has a scoring system. You can play it for points. You even get one-ups at 30,000 and every 50,000. There are money bags that you can collect uh, from candelabras and from some enemy kills. Uh, I'm not sure. Is there? I assume there's a chance percentage on that that, that an enemy will drop a drop a money bag rather than a, a heart or whatever else, or it's on the cycle, yeah. which is another thing it shares with with Ghosts and Goblins, isn't it? Um, there's also all these secret money bags, a couple of which I found purely by chance, and then I found out that there are loads more. They're worth more points, even uh, shiny, flashing money bags. So that's another thing that, yeah, you would have just had to find out for yourself or try everything or read in a magazine or whatever. Uh, And uh, extraordinarily, I only learned this right before recording because I was thinking, is there, there that's weird. There are no one ups in this game. Turns out there is one, one up in this game, (laughs) one single solitary one up. So if you are playing just, you know, if you're not playing for a no death, this could be a, a lifesaver literally in stage 13, if you walk or push, keep walking forward into one particular wall, a one-up appears below you. Who knew? Yeah, not me. Yeah, and it takes, uh, it, it disappears like most of the items yeah. in this game very rapidly. So as soon as it appears, you have to hightail it right down the screen to uh, to grab it. But yeah, just such an odd thing. Like either, normally you, you play Mario or something, one-ups are a key part yeah. of the experience and you collect them all over the place. You can even exploit loops to collect dozens of one-ups in this game they put one one up in it and you have to know the secret to to find it it's sort of typical of the the kind of mindset of the design yeah there's one uh, there's one secret uh, item on the very first screen like uh, when you start yeah right uh, you don't walk through the door because obviously you do all that stuff to get powered up and then you walk through the door into the hall if you were if you jump over the door but the thing is like that's really really hard to do 
because like they've yeah, got like yeah you've got a very couple yeah. of fr- a couple of frames and then to jump back and then be able to get it because if you walk back through the frame of the door <laughs> you're just going through the door um so yeah that's uh i didn't do that i've done that on one of my runs i didn't do it on what i'd say it always like you say all for a thousand yeah points. it always feels like showing off to be honest at that point <laughs> yeah and not the the reward isn't quite worth nah. the effort possibly unless you are playing for you you're trying to rack up as many lives as you want Another thing that we didn't mention that uh, there's a when you complete a level, you pick up uh, like an orb from your defeated boss and you get all your life back for the next level. That's great. There's also a a, a rundown of uh, of points based on certain features. It's, I think time is one of them. Is Do you get points for time? But anyway, the point being there is a time limit on levels, but it's so long as to never become an issue really hmm. uh it does stop you farming for hearts i suppose you wouldn't even think of it you wouldn't even nah. like the only the, the only time i thought about there being a time limit was when i was reading about the version where there's a really strict time limit well you, you, yeah. you hear the points rack up at the end don't you as the time like in mario yes. you know when you go down the flag it's just it's a similar yeah, yeah. kind of thing like uh but yeah i never but in this game you're less likely to actually run out yeah of time. exactly it's never a yeah it's never an issue Pixel Hunted from the forum says classic Castlevania had been a big blind spot of mine up until the anniversary collection. And I was very pleased that this lived up to the hype. It's an incredibly cliched comparison, but the first game finally clicked with me when I started thinking of it as a 2D Dark Souls more than an action platformer. Like FromSoft's games, action has to be well-timed, hammering the attack button rarely pays off, and it rewards paying close attention to enemy behavior. Got pretty far without save states too, Right through the Grim Reaper boss, uh, though the Grim Reaper boss, sorry, had me running for their safety blanket. There you go, Josh. <laughs> Quiet Paul from the forum says each part of each level has a few ways to beat it, and some of the more challenging parts became my favourites. For example, the room where you cross the bridge and eagles drop off Flea Man after Flea Man, and if you don't quite nail the timing of your attacks, you can become very easily overrun. My first time through, I found this a bit frustrating. Since playing it again for the podcast, I've been able to take my time and figure out exactly how and when to attack, making it a breeze. The infamous Axe Knight and Medusa Head combo room preceding the Grim Reaper fight is another example. First time through here, I used the cross boomerang and button mashed my way through and fought the Reaper with maybe half health or less. This time, I took the stopwatch, making it easy to get through that room without losing much or any health but sacrificing my sub-weapon against the Reaper since the watch is useless in this fight. Yeah, I mean, things like that, like it it doesn't, I think maybe there were hints in the manual, but it doesn't, it, it says that the watch isn't useful against most bosses, but it is some, so like you don't know until you try it kind of thing. You don't know that the watch does work against the first boss. You don't know that the holy water is a complete win button against uh, Frankenstein and Dracula's final form and all that kind of thing. They uh, they nerfed the um, uh, stopwatch loads because you said about Haunted Castle. In Haunted Castle, right, the stopwatch is more mm. broken than the Holy Water is in this. Yeah, really? it's ridiculous. It takes two. Does it only use one? Two heart hearts or to use, and it stops the two game for hearts. five seconds. Right, but get this, right. So as you walk through levels, if the if the um, if you've got the uh, you hit the stopwatch as you walk through levels, it stops enemies from spawning because they all spawn at the same points, right? So if you go right, through a level right. where a load of stuff's going to spawn, um, you could literally hit hit the thing once, and as soon as you've gone on to the screen past the frame you need it to spawn, 
Even if you're one frame past and the time starts again, you've got past the bit in the game where it should spawn, so it doesn't spawn. So literally, you can get through massive bits, and it works on uh, it works on all the bosses as well. So you can just uh, okay. you can just freeze them and then uh, and then beat them up. Like it's uh, good to know. It's very uh, that might come in handy. Incredibly if I can broken. persuade one more person to play Haunted Castle for get the show, to play the European version. It's a piece of cake. <laughs> You'll have to. I'll have to break down the uh, the differences in the uh, in the ROMs <laughs> again. Um, again, back to Sonoyumi. Says I once asked Akamatsu about the fight with Death or the Grim Reaper and how insanely hard it was. He told me the game design idea there was to get players to understand how to use the cross and axe subweapons. If you can defeat it with only the whip, that means you're really good. I can't defeat him with the whip alone. But if you read the movements of the sickles, I understand it is possible, albeit very difficult, to beat him with just the whip. Apparently the test players were able to do it. I think he wanted anyone to be able to clear his games because he told me his standard for difficulty was that he should be able to clear it himself. There's been no shortage of games historically, particularly in the 80s, the bedroom coding era, games that were notoriously too difficult because... They were tested rigorously by the person who created them. <laughs> so I wonder if the Grim Reaper fight falls in, maybe falls into that category. Damanth from the forum says, I played this when Simon got in Smash just to get invested. Got to Dracula's final form. I understand it's an old game, but is it just awful that you basically need holy water to stand a chance at killing him without getting hurt? I save scummed the heck out of that fight, and as far as I can tell, there was no way to tell between his low jump and high jump. No pattern to when he'd high jump so you can run under, run under him, and running under the low jump, even frame perfect, was actually impossible. So that last bit was just a frustrating blemish of a fine enough Nintendo hard Konami experience. So I think I actually stumbled into um, figuring something out about the last Dracula fight, because yeah. there seemed to be a spot that you could, st like, if you, standing pretty close to him, I think it was, mm. where, like, he would always do the high jump if you were standing at that distance from him. Um, okay. I, 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 I'm not sure. I, it's possible that I was just lucky. Um, I don't know if I could replicate. I, I mean, I probably could replicate yeah. it. Yeah, um, I don't know if there's any pattern or not. But yeah, I think yeah. I think I kind of lucked into that. <laughs> no, that's right. Confirmed. Yeah, oh, works. it is. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I feel smart. You're massively now. legit now. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! Alex seventy nine came back uh, to Demont's assertion, uh, saying, "You don't need holy water at all to beat the final boss. I used my standard whip in his first form and a combination of whip and boomerang crucifix on the bat form. Didn't take damage until the bat stage, but even then finished with half health. It's just finding the right technique." That and a little bit of luck, I guess. I agree it's very frustrating that you can't go under him on the lower jump, despite the sprite clearly being through cleanly, you still take damage for it. And we have Psycho Hype from our forum, who says, For many years, the original Castlevania was high up on my bucket list for games to beat. One sitting, no save states allowed. When I was 26 and visiting some family in another state, I played the game on their Wii Virtual Console. I even managed to make it all the way through to the infamous level 5 hallway with the dreaded axe knights and flying medusa heads. Of course I fell almost immediately afterwards to the boss fight with death, but the experience gave me hope that I might one day triumph. It finally happened, 
at age 36 after I got my hands on an NES Classic Mini console. I will admit my first successful run took a few hours. I first had to get back to that level 5 boss fight with death and figure out how to cheese him with the upgraded Holy Water attack. Then it was the final level and face off with Dracula himself. Getting to that final boss fight was bad enough, but then managing to beat him was even tougher. I'd heard so much about how difficult Dracula's final demon form could be without a fully or even partially upgraded Holy Water subweapon, but it was the first part of the fight that was giving me so much grief. For some reason, I just couldn't seem to avoid having Dracula spawn right on top of me as he teleported around the room. I got lucky a few times and managed to, hit, uh, managed to reach the final form, but my meagre health was not enough to sustain even a single hit. I tried and tried and thought I might never actually see the credits after all, but then I simply paused and reflected on the fact that after so many failed attempts my brain had unconsciously been starting to recognise a strange pattern to Dracula's random spawning. So I tried something new. In the brief seconds between Dracula's teleportations, I moved my Simon Belmont character in an alternating left and right evasion pattern. And it worked. I had unlocked the simple but elusive pattern to avoid his random spawns. From there, it was simply a matter of executing the strategy. I got to the final form with a few hits to spare, and it was enough to vanquish the demon and hear that amazing final boss-defeated melody. The first win was not pretty, but I did it. The next day I attempted it all over again and managed to beat the game in less than an hour. I've since beaten the game several times on the Castlevania Anniversary Collection as well as the Game Boy Advance version where I even pulled off a one credit clear. No continues required. I say all of this to encourage anyone out there that this game is entirely beatable and it's an excellent gateway for getting into retro games in general. So, so I My guess uh, Ben you, you would concur yeah. with those comments. Is that's not a pseudonym? No, <laughs> that's incredible. It's funny with like you say about the different bosses and stuff. Like, um, and we said at the start about sub weapons and how, like, having the essential sub, the right sub weapons for the bosses. I can't stress, like, once you get past uh, the first two levels, really, like how how much easier bosses are with the right sub weapons. Like, um, yeah, the the bat at the end of the first level, right. So, so the bat at the end of the first level takes double damage, right? So all the other stuff takes what all the other bosses take one hit if you hit it with your whip, right? The bat yeah. takes two, right? Um, if the bat attacks you, right, while you're standing on the stairs, it'll take more damage, right? And if you can whip it while it hits you and get the frame perfect thing, you can kill it in one hit um, because it doubles the amount of yeah. damage. So you can do 16 points of damage in one hit, right? So you can kill it, yeah. but that's really hard. You might as well just throw the axes at it. The uh, yeah. so the second boss, the Medusa, you can kill however you want because that's not really difficult either. Like you can either yeah. take the boomerangs yeah. or whatever. But it's from the third onwards, right? Um, mm. If you the easiest way to kill the mummies at the end of the level three is with the boomerang because the way the boomerang works, it's got a really funny mechanic in terms of if you throw it over two enemies at once. So let's throw it. Say you throw it over two enemies and they both got one hit point. If their frames overlap, it'll hit the first one first and then it'll go to the next thing and it'll hit the, the next one second, right? And it'll kill them both. Mm. Now with the mummies, if they overlap and you throw a boomerang, what happens is it alternates from frame one to frame two to frame one to frame two, right? So you can kill the mummies with one boomerang in 16 frames, which is like less than half a second because it just goes one, two, one, two, one, and then they both die kind of, uh, kind of quite quickly. Piece Every boss after that... Um, basically relies on like um the the frankenstein and, and the uh and the flea man and uh, death every yeah. boss after that relies on stun locking him before the encounter starts um yeah and that's and uh and obviously we've said about the 
the kind of Dracula, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But like uh, the 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 stun locking from from level like four onwards, those bars, those two bosses, literally can't move if you time it right. So as soon as you get mm -hmm. onto the platform, if you throw the holy water straight away, there's 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 nothing that they can do. If you do it quick enough, you can kill them before the boss music starts, because it doesn't register <laughs> the fact that the, the encounter's actually started. Um, but yeah, like there's so many, and that's the thing. Like there's so many different, and I'm not saying one way's right or one way's wrong or anything like that. That's the great thing. Mm. There's so many ways, but having the the right uh, sub weapon makes the a lot of the boss fights incredibly uh, easy. It takes the risk out of them completely to the point where they can't even move. You know? Yeah, and I assume most of this stuff was deliberately designed yeah. that way for for that to be. I don't I don't think so much of this is exploits and and glitches. This is stuff that was designed to be discovered in time by players yeah you'd think so it's not like you're like i say there's things like uh the, 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 there is kind of like we talked about like boost jumps and different things where you can get to places that maybe you wouldn't have been normally that um, yeah but yeah things that are i think there are yeah i think in terms of getting through the levels like i mean it's hard to know with with the the back jump which we've mentioned a few times um quite a famous speed running shortcut hard to know how deliberate that was because clearly the design of this game is very specific about where and when enemies yeah, exactly. spawn and it does make you wonder did they actually muck around with trying this because th essentially this is there's a whole section of a level that you can avoid by taking a small amount of damage if you time your jump yeah exactly right. it's, it's on the first level where you yeah. go underneath to get the um where you go underneath to the merman bit so obviously you come to that that first kind of wall where you go underneath the merman bit and then you walk up the stairs and then you're back on the other side Whereas yeah. if you jump and whip a couple of times, you'll trigger a bat at a certain height and uh, you have to time it so. And it's what we said at the start about um, you get the knock forward rather than the uh, rather than knock back. Yeah. So you jump over it, the back end of your uh, hitbox will hit the bat and you'll go forward and then you'll end up on the bit of the, the actual platform where you can just walk forward and it cuts out that whole um, kind of bottom thing, that bottom section out. And there is quite a few, yeah. like the, we said about the, the Medusa heads, there's quite a lot of boosts involving those where you jump straight up and they'll knock you onto a platform above or with the skeletons as well that throw the bones. It's a similar thing. So, that I mean, they like you say, I I think that they probably understood that that was maybe possible, you know, um, whereas, uh, whereas specific mechanics about boss fights and how sub-weapons work obviously were play-tested, like, massively, you'd imagine, um, and, and, yeah. and designed as gameplay gameplay elements. But it's nice that... It's nice that you can put um, the more time you put into it, like uh, the, the the more things that you learn about. Like I'm forever learning bits that that'll shave bits of time off, and it just never ceases to amaze me, really. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people who are listening to this show, who like me, like playing a lot of different video games, and aren't necessarily going to want to spend several months, you know, getting absolutely expert at this. There are there are other ways to play, uh, but it's cool to know that that stuff yeah, is exactly. in there. Interestingly, the fight with Dracula, the second form, is actually not Dracula, according to Akamatsu, but an embodiment of Hito no Noroi, or the curse of man, because Akamatsu said in a truly peaceful age, Dracula would not exist. According to shmuplations.com. I guess, uh, I mean, Dr Dracula is, uh, I don't know if Bram Stoker specifically says, I think I did read the book a long, long time ago, but Dracula is kind of an in a semi-human in, incarnation of, of a devil-like figure. So uh, I suppose it does sort of make sense. 
so yeah we've i mean we've already talked about a lot of the techniques and and work that uh the likes of uh ben and and uh world record holders have put in i had a look at i watched the the, the recent the most recent oh, world record speed run, any percent yeah 11 minutes and five seconds Levels. just over uh, that's available on Twitch if you want to look it up. I also watched uh, a much slower, much slower one at 12 minutes 59. Pedestrian. But uh, it's on a um, uh, Summer Games Done Quick from 2018 by a player called Comrade, who I assume is a well-known speedrunner. But the good thing about that one is Comrade talks through the entire thing. So does it in under 30 minutes while explaining exactly what nice. he's doing at, at the whole time. A bit like what Ben does. But, six uh, minutes slower yeah 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 uh not as fast as your oh no it's even faster than your RC time. Time, yeah. um, but yeah it's uh it's interesting because he explains like the the frame timings for the for the crits yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff um of course explaining it and then <laughs> listening to somebody explain it and then trying yeah. to do it is a different matter but uh but yeah it seems like um i think that uh, world record was set earlier this yeah. year the the current world record so gives you a good indication that this is still a thriving game uh, in in terms of its position in the speed running community i don't know about in terms of i assume there are people also max out the score and all that yeah. kind of thing that was the other thing i wanted to ask you about so yeah it was common in arcade games i'm thinking about uh, other konami arcade games like gradius and stuff like that once you complete the game you don't just get the, the the congratulations and the game ends. It actually carries on, but harder. Yeah. Uh, and this game does that. And I, I've played some of the second loop. Uh, and it's you basically have to relearn the whole game. Yeah, it's bats, isn't it? It's bats everywhere. Bats everywhere. Medusa heads everywhere. Yeah. It's really tough. I'm, I'm, is there a third loop? I have never got past... Uh, on On one <laughs> credit, I've never got past World 5 on the second loop. Um, right, which is tantalising and close to being able to do it twice, but um, true. But it's just I get the feeling that um, if I get the feeling that level six, which is the hardest one, would just be an absolute nightmare. I can't imagine how difficult that would be with more random elements. Uh, but the only thing that could save you is the fact that the NES really can't have yeah, that exactly. many more sprites on screen. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the. Did either of you try this, Josh or Leah? Like, obviously, when you've you've cleared the game, have you then picked up the controller again, or you just been like, "Yeah, that'll do me." I play. I continued to play until I died, which was not yes, which same, was not yeah. that much. But I, I might have gotten to the second the second level. Like, I got past the bat, um, and and then I think I died pretty quickly after that. Um, but yeah, I never really went any further than that. I think I saw how many new bats there were and noped out of there, basically. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it's not like Ghosts and Goblins in that it doesn't make you do that to have an actual legitimate no. <laughs> completion. Ugh. Yeah, or Bubble Bubble with two players. So, yeah, I just wanted to talk about uh, a little bit about the other the other versions. Arcade Archives versus Castlevania. As I say, you can actually buy this for around £6 or your local equivalent on both Nintendo and or Switch and, and PlayStation 4 or 5. Uh, so because the whole point of arcades is to make money, Konami made two major changes to versus Castlevania. 
Uh, it's designed to trigger a game over faster than the home version. The first of these is a vastly reduced time limit. Chances are you probably didn't even notice the NES Castlevania had a timer because it was generous, but in Versus Castlevania, if you take time to smash all the candles and collect all the items, you're going to be really up against it. For comparison, the first stage in the NES version gives you 300 seconds, whereas the same level in Versus Castlevania only gives you 170. The other major change is the amount of damage you take. Hit a basic enemy like a ghost and you'll lose a quarter of your energy, which is double what you'd lose for doing the same in the NES version. This scales upwards as you'd expect. Bosses and other powerful enemies can often wipe you out entirely if you don't reach them with full health. Something not entirely easy, given that the timer has you rushing anyway. The energy and the timer combined then make Versus Castlevania probably uh, notably harder than the NES game, which, let's be honest, wasn't exactly Nintendogs to begin with. On the plus side though, according to Nintendo Life, the sprite, the sprite flicker was fixed for this version. Optionally, you can turn it back on if you want. Also, the colour palette is more vibrant than the NES version, but it is otherwise identical to the NES version other than those two things and the massively increased difficulty. Fancy it? Piece of cake. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't include it on the uh, on the collection because uh, Hamster wanted to sell it to you separately. Of course, you can use up to 99 continues by inserting credits, but that won't necessarily help you. The PlayChoice 10 version, unlike the Versus version, uh, isn't increased difficulty wise, but it does have the same slight color differences. And yeah, Vampire Killer is that other version, the MSX2 game. Uh, that was directed by Akihiko Nagata. Um, and as Ben said, it's uh, yeah, it's like a single screen and it's got keys and chests. But it is the canonically, it's the same story, essentially, just presented in a slightly different way. One fun Easter egg other than the one up. There's another secret thing you can find. Moby Games says beat the game once is a reason to. Play it through again. Head to the second part of level two, climb the stairs, get to the top of the screen and jump on the first moving platform. A blinking treasure will come out of the ground. And if you examine it closely, it's a my head, which you'll know that Konami has a, a long relationship with going back to Gradius. I don't know how many points it's worth, though. I'm going to say probably a thousand like all the other things. Maybe more. don't know. Archie's. From our forum says the game is hard, clunky at times, and I've only gotten to the final boss using save states on the Wii U version. In 2021, I still think Castlevania is playable, however, with limitations that you just have to accept for the time of its release. And yeah, I just wanted to make sure that you're aware, listener, that we will be covering in future podcasts, or the plan is, you know, barring acts of God or Dracula. Super Castlevania 4 will definitely get its own podcast, even though it is if effectively a remake of the original haunted castle as i say just need one more volunteer Sick. to come along on the ride with uh, with me and ben for that one and castlevania chronicles which was the remake or it was just originally released as akuma joe dracula in japan it was a remake for the x68000 which is a, a fine and capable japan only computer that we've mentioned a few times on this show uh, but it was then ported over to the playstation the ps1 some years later i think it was 99 or 2000 and not only does it have the remake of the original game it also has an arrange mode which has uh, some significant tweaks and stuff so i'd quite like to 
to play that one through separately in, I don't know, whenever we get to it, whenever that's likely to be. Toon Scottoon says, in the late 80s, as a seven or eight-year-old kid playing Castlevania for the first time, I would have told you whipping monster butt with a cool chain whip felt good, looked good, and sounded good, but I sucked at it. Under closer scrutiny, and with 30 years of on and off gaming under my belt, I can see that this title is iterative in both its gameplay and its story beats. Castlevania as a franchise has been and continues to be what my California high school students would call a biter, a term playfully and in this case appropriately deployed when describing someone or something that mimics something else. But whether Konami was cribbing from early action platformers as they were in this game, or Link's Adventure in the franchise's next main console entry, or God of War in the more recent Lord of Shadow games, I can confirm that after returning to Dracula's Castle through the excellent anniversary collection on Switch, that whipping monster butt with a cool chain whip still feels good, looks good, and sounds good. And perhaps I've even gotten a fair bit better at it. Uh, and yes, we have already had some Castlevania content on Cana Rinse in the past. If you're interested to tide you over before we come back with, with the second game, <laughs> we covered the Symphony of the Night game in issue 84 of the podcast. Uh, we've got uh, we got a couple of articles on uh, Symphony of the Night. We've got a review of the anime seasons one and two from Josh. We've got a Lords of Shadow podcast and that aforementioned Sound of Play Castlevania special. But yeah, we'll be back in issue 496 with Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest, in which he, and this is a neat touch, you know when you kill Dracula at the end and his face flies off and he explodes out. You know how all the other enemies go into like fire and Dracula parts fly everywhere. That was to foreshadow the second game's plot where you're getting all the bits of Dracula's body that flew off. Incredible. Yeah. Have you done that yet? I don't know. No, no. <laughs> just started. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Give me uh, a shout. I'll be using, I'll be using a walkthrough um, because it doesn't tell you anything, does it? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of really obscure stuff in that game. <laughs> Apparently, the I think, well, we'll talk about it on that show, but uh, it's to do with the fact that the text boxes in Japan could give you more information because they're because of the way they their characters contain more information than our letters. So when they they translated it over, the characters in the text boxes are the same number of characters. And so they could only say things like there are clues in the castle or you know, <laughs> something like that and leaving you to work it out for yourself. Anyway, that show we will get through it. Uh, we'll, we'll complete the game somehow or other. And the show will be out on Patreon on the 29th of November and for free on the 27th of December. We've also had a little selection of three word reviews from Twitter at Canaan Rince. Super user says for the 80s. Jason D. Smith says infuriatingly cruel difficulty. Peditis says, tough but fair. Will Cross, I think referring to Medusa Head, says, sine wave nightmare. No More Spiro says, fear the reaper. Toon Skatoon says, bite was contagious. Quiet Paul says, finger licking good. And Thomas the Tank M1 says, wonderful atmospheric marvel. Thank you, one and all. So... 
how do we sum up our Castlevania 1 35-year-old video game experience? Uh, let's start with Josh. I kind of gave my final summary at the beginning of this podcast. Okay. But uh, anyway, I, I, I just to reiterate, because I'm sure there are quite a few people um, my age listening to this just out of curiosity um, and probably had uh, have had a similar experience of games of this era. You know, I, I played the original Legend of Zelda and while I, I found it, you know, historically curious... It, it just felt like a skeletal, a skeletal version of later games that I love. I, I played Civ 1 for Canaan Rinse, and similarly, it was very historically fascinating, but ultimately it was a very skeletal version of, of games that I love later on. This feels complete in a way that I really wasn't expecting. Um, there are certainly entries in the series that I love more, but this doesn't feel unfleshed out. This feels it, this feels like a complete work. This feels like um, exactly the game that they they went out to make um, in a way that really surprised me. I think it holds up incredibly well. There are a few sticking points for me. You heard me, you know, complain about the Grim Reaper slash death fight, and I, you know, it's it's really really tough, but for for a game of this vintage for that to be the only real sticking point for me whereas everything else felt felt really good and you know difficult but pleasing to master um was a surprise so i i highly recommend castlevania i think it's a really really solid action game even now thanks josh yes so even though i was around at the time i didn't play the original castlevania contemporary to its release and i started with a remake effectively a 16-bit remake so yeah even from that point of view even from somebody who was around playing 8-bit games i i was perhaps uh yeah, spoiled with the 16-bit graphics and then the yeah, playstation era graphics and beyond so going back to the nes game it looks a little plain and rough in some ways but i've actually been surprised by how much it's hooked me especially given that it has the some of the kind of uh gameplay design elements that I'm not normally so uh, vibe. Uh, I, I don't vibe so well with normally, which is the sort of the repetition and, and the, uh, the, the learning and the sort of the repeated execution of similar moves. I do tend to prefer games where there's a bit more room for expression and experimentation and, and stuff. But actually as uh, I think m most of everyone else on the panel said, the, the core feel of actually controlling your character and hitting things and the way it sounds, the way it feels is, uh, is so satisfying. And so much of the, the DNA of even the more recent 2d Castlevanias was set in stone with this first release that I've found myself playing it a lot more than I thought I would. I, I completed it originally quite a, you know, a couple of weeks ago or whatever, but I keep coming back to it, keep trying to get a bit better at it. I, you know, I managed to get kind of half to two thirds of the way through on one life. And I was thinking, could I one CC this? And no, I can't probably because uh, I don't have the ice in my veins that Ben does. But but the fact that I, I wanted to keep playing it, even when I had other things going on, other games to play, other distractions uh, is is testament to its quality. 
In my opinion, everyone who listens to the Kane and Rince video game podcast should probably own the Castlevania Anniversary Collection. Um, it's an insanely good value for money history piece, uh, really nicely produced and put together by uh, the Masters at M2. And as such, I would recommend that you play it. And if you haven't got much time or patience for it, switch to the Japanese ROM, play the easy mode, it takes away the it i mean arguably it takes away as we've often talked about with with some games it can actually take away some of the appeal of them by making it that little bit easier but it does mean that you get a good sense of the game you get to see it all uh, you get to uh, you get to see all the levels hear all the music play through the game get the end credits and uh, and say that you've seen castlevania and if you enjoy it then yeah give a give the normal difficulty a crack and and see how far you get but yeah the knockback might knock you back, as it were. But yeah, definitely recommended. Aaliyah? This is a hard game. Um, and I, I don't think that's going to be uh, much of a yeah. surprise to people who pick it up. Uh, it is very much along the vein of NES games that wanted to kind of keep you uh, maybe not quite bashing your head against it. That's a little extreme, but uh, but kind of close to that. Uh that said, I think it's worth it. Um, I, I There are so many ways now, whether it be the easy version that Leon mentioned or the save states that we've talked about, or neither of those, if you just want to keep pushing at it and, and let yourself get better at it uh, until you make it all the way through. There, there are a lot of ways that you can approach this that I think you should if you have any interest at all in this kind of game um because it is good it feels good uh it it looks good it has fantastic music and while it is not my favorite in the series as i've mentioned i i really like it for what it does in kind of introducing that whole uh that whole feel and that whole uh just place in the uh in the genre that it kind of carves out for itself there so um i'll uh, i'll kind of leave it at that for now i think um i recommended um and it, it, yeah it's aged but i i think it is done so gracefully uh particularly in comparison to uh some of the other games from the era that maybe haven't quite so much so uh yeah if you if you uh have access to it and you probably do in in some form uh i think you should give it a shot definitely excellent and let's conclude with our guest ben at this point my friends you might well be expecting me to leave with some incendiary statement like save state to the refuge of cowards well in some respects they are but that's not the point here um when you good folks at Kane and rinse are wrapping up the metroid show and talking about tackling an older game in the mindset uh <laughs> it was you leah you said something that really got me you said and you people know who you are and you're <laughs> right <laughs> like we do with the people who look at dying in a game like Castlevania as part of the process, there's nothing more than a reason to go and make another hot drink. With the people who don't care if everybody gets a medal, people who don't quit, the people with scars and stories in equal measures, and with the heroes and heroines of a million lost tales like this. And the best part is that anyone can join us. You've just got to promise you won't be deterred when things get tough. Because I guarantee you, if you stay the course, you keep trying to get better, these games will break before you do. This iteration of Castlevania for me is the franchise's appetite for destruction. It's a statement of intent, it's a bombastic assault, and it produces some truly iconic apex moments that get me every time. Dracula's Staircase, The Vampire Killer, Wicked Child, Death's Corridor, there's so many. 
every single time I've beaten this game properly, I've got to the last level and I've had to take a deep breath. I've had to steady myself. I've had to reassure myself that I've done everything in my power to get through this. But in the back of my head, most importantly, I've got to be ready to die because the bats could kill you on the last level if they choose to. And if they do, there's nothing you can do about it. But what, well, you want to live forever? In summary, I'd say that the rush of emotions that I get every single time I beat this hasn't dulled over the last five years since I began playing it purposefully. And every time I play it live, it's clear that not just me looks at Castlevania in the same beloved way. I'd also say that getting angry and frustrated at Castlevania because it doesn't have the tropes that you've become accustomed to in modern gaming is really as fruitless an endeavor as getting angry that your video cassette recorder doesn't upscale to 4K. Finally, if you want to beat this game properly and get the most exhilarating experience you can, then take the following steps. Get warm, get supplies, get comfortable, get honest, get better. But more importantly, get up after you die and get back out there. These adventures don't ride themselves. Or you can just play the easy mode, Rom. <laughs> <laughs> and have a good time. Rather than punishing yourself. It's character yes. building. Different strokes for different again, folks. Again, I will say it again. You know who you are. That's iconic. That's a thing now, you know. I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh, Leah, and Ben. Ben, where do we find your stuff again on the internet? Thank you very much. I am uh, over at One Credit Classics on uh, YouTube at number one credit classics on Twitter, um, streaming uh, twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays at 6 p.m. BST. Thursdays we play random stuff, um, and I try and beat it without dying. Mondays, uh, the good folks on Patreon pick me games to play. At the moment, because of uh, it's all your fault, I'm obsessed with playing Metroid, so I am trying to... Uh, like uh, I got a, a sub hour time and then somebody somebody messaged me and said, oh, have you been on speedrun.com? And I was like, no, why? Like, I don't usually go on there too much. And he was like, oh, well, that Metroid time is like the 27th one for that category, 27th fastest one that's ever been recorded for that category. And I was like, interesting. And uh, two days ago or maybe a day ago, whenever it was, th these days blur together, I uh, died on Mother Brain 29 minutes into a run, um, which would have been sub 30 minutes which is kind of my thing. I want to get sub 30 minutes and then put some other stuff together. But uh, but stuff like that, like uh, crazy achievement runs and kind of niche cultural references from uh, British TV in the 1980s and 1990s and uh, loads, of stuff, loads of talk about hair metal. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, you know? You should come hang out. It'll be very. When are you going to 1cc Jackal? I'm, do you know what? I'm working on it. You laugh. I am legitimately I working like on it. I've got about three quarters of the way through. I know. It's just a few little... Even though my way of playing games and yours is very different, I know exactly how to set you off. <laughs> mm, you do, yeah. Trigger me every single time. It works, though. Do you know what I mean? It 100%, 100% works. I wouldn't have got through Ghouls and Ghosts in the time I did if you weren't, uh, yeah. if you weren't helping me out. I appreciate it. I really do. <laughs> Editor Jay, thank you, uh, as well as our correspondents and, of course, all of you for listening. Next time, in issue 489, we're back to the circuit, but now in Actua 3D with Mario Kart 7.